Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Rethink Culture, the podcast that shines a spotlight on business leaders who are rethinking workplace culture. My name is Andreas Constantinou, and I'm your host, and I'm also chairman and founder at Slash Data with a passion for rethinking culture. Today, I have the pleasure of hosting Arnie Melham. He's an award-winning CEO, an eight-figure entrepreneur, and best-selling author who helps progressive leaders create and sustain engaging cultures with their organization. He's also, as he tells me, an entrepreneur who spent 10 years getting things wrong and another 10 years getting things right. He's also passionate about his latest venture, which is Better Book Club, and the difference he's seeing it make in the world. And he also tells me he's a father of two adult kids and with a passion for cigars and scotch. Arnie, welcome to the Rethink Culture podcast. Andreas, thanks for having me. Thrilled to hang out with you and talk about culture, how powerful it can be, and how most people get it wrong uh, on their way to getting it right as well. So before you tell us what you got wrong and what you got right, do you want to start with where you grew up, where you spent your childhood years, and what led you to your journey? Well, I, I grew up in a small town in, in rural USA, you know, found my way to the big city of Nashville, Tennessee, which is a you know, medium city. And, you know, I did the standard jobs and opportunities that everyone does as they're, as they're trying to find their way. And finally, the big thing happened, the big, the big reveal. I got fired and I was unemployable. And so I had to start my own company and I did what everyone does. I just started doing what I did well and tried to make money at it. And that was sort of the beginning of the journey. Every entrepreneur, not every, but most entrepreneurs start as solopreneurs, something they do that amazingly they can get paid for, and they just try to find to do more of it so they can get paid more. And that sort of begins the solopreneur journey, right? The, the, the one person who's trying to make a go of it. And then that journey either leads for many as a, to a trap, a one-person business that's centered around that person, or to a sustained company, one that runs with or without the founder. And so my, my journey was similar. Small town, lots of jobs, got fired, had to do something, found a niche. So when, when you started CJ Advertising, it was obviously you were looking for a job, right? And you, you said, let me start something on my own. But yeah. what was your vision like when you started it? What did you want, to, what did you want it to become? Well, I have this. I have a curse with. I'm always trying to find a better way to do things. Like I, 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 everything, everything that happens, I'm like, why does that door open that way, or why does, like, I'm always trying to find a better way. And and similar, I just happen to apply those skills to marketing. In this case, for a unique niche, as, as, as if folks know me, they know that my marketing agency worked exclusively for injury lawyers in North America, and so we help lawyers in our, in this country be better known and more liked. And at the time, lawyer marketing was new. They were doing it really poorly, and I knew there was a better way. And so I just kept looking to find that better way, and that was really the beginning of CJ Advertising. And did you know how would the company grow? Like, did you envisage, I'm going to no, you know, build it and sell it? Me and my wife, or I'm gonna me, use it? me and my wife were just trying to rub two nickels together to get a dime. Like, we, just, we were just doing everything we could to advance... Uh, how we did things, if we could find a better path, if people would trust us. You know, it was just me and her 
no office, you know, a fax machine in, a, in the living room kind of thing. And, and then it slowly, be, again, as I mentioned, it started to grow. But as a solopreneur, I kept looking for ways to make me better, make me more efficient, help me talk to more clients, help me help more people. I wasn't looking for ways for the company to do it. And so that we had to, we sort of perfected it by being solopreneurs. And that's the, that's the, at some point it became a business and we had to shift from me, me, me to us, us, us. And that was the start of the 10 years of doing things wrong. Was it? Yeah. 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 It was, you know, it went, went, as a technician, we, I, many people start their businesses as technicians in their own company yeah. and we're very hands-on and we want it done a certain way and we want it done it the way we would do it and so it's a it's the longer you do that the more of the habit you have to break so that the company can do it better than you not as good as you better than you and so that sort of that 10-year journey was me trying to be the best technician in the world the next 10 years was me trying to be the best leader in the world right that's a there's a very big distinction between help me do this to let me help you do this. So when did you realize you were doing things wrong? What triggered it? So we were we were probably 25 to 30 people at the time and I was still I was I was being the boss. I was driving my team as hard as someone can drive their team. And this is probably a familiar story to some listening or to, or or stories they've heard. And every little thing bothered me. I was angry about everything, right? That, that didn't go the way I wanted it to go. But we, because, and it was like pushing a rock. I like to talk about pushing a rock uphill. You can do it. It just takes a lot of effort. And if you let up for just a minute, that thing comes rolling back down, right? right. So I'm pushing the rock. I'm pushing the rock. We're finding some success. I'm moving the rock up the hill, right? With all my people doing their best to help me get out of my own way. And we had brought a speaker in to talk to all of our clients about their customer service. John DeJulius, North American writer, several books, best-selling author, customer service guru. And he was on stage talking to our clients about their customer service. And he said three words. He said three words in relation to how folks run their customer service. He said, he said culture of customer service reflects leadership. Culture reflects leadership. And I listened to those words and I realized that the culture I had in my company at that time was exactly the culture I deserved. It was the wrong culture, but it was the one I deserved. It's the one I had created. Culture reflects leadership. It wasn't my people. It wasn't my clients. It wasn't the environment. It wasn't the, the, the uh, economy. It was me. It was me trying to be the boss the the um to drive my team as opposed to the leader to lead my team and so when folks realize and i talk to entrepreneurs all over the world and i say those three words over and over again culture reflects leadership i realized it and started to make that change in my life and i was working at a company i didn't even like working at anymore i started making that change and now i spend time helping others make that transition from boss to leader, and as a leader, you can now shape a culture into one where people want to be, where even you want to be, where uh, where success happens much more much more rapidly, much more easily. Instead of pushing the rock down uphill, 
we get to we get to push the cro- the rock at least across a flat surface with a lot of support. So, what's an example of of things you changed? For example, how did you help people develop? So, it w- those words help people develop. That our whole culture became one of growth. We 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 went from a place that people didn't want on their resume to one where I said, we will look good on your resume. We will be, if you worked at CJ, you can get a job anywhere in the world because we're going to help you grow. And so it all became, instead of, instead of focused on how they can help me, it became on how I could help them. And we would promise folks, whether you stay here for three weeks, three months, three years or longer, you will leave here a better person than you came, wow. right? You will be the best trained person. You, you will, you you will you will appreciate your teammates. You will understand what it's like to be with, on a team. You will be the best trained at your job that you can possibly be. You will grow here, and it's it. You know, I've said I like to say, if you can't grow your team, you can't grow your business. And so we went from a culture of you help me to me help you, help them grow, help them be successful, help them find confidence, help them find optimism, help them find a path to a better them, and it, and it, it quickly, it, not quickly, over time, it became a, a path to a better us. That, that took 10 years, did it? That, that it, process? It did. I'm a slow learner, man. It, takes, <laughs> it, took, me, it took me a long time. And, and people, you know, culture doesn't, doesn't change on a dime. People want to, people go to hear a podcast or they go to a seminar or they read a book and they want to go change things at once. Those people will not be successful. Right? How, how do I know a, a concept is going to fail? It's when a leader says, I'm going to do that. It, a leader has to distribute the work of building their culture throughout their company. They, they, if they try to add more than one thing per quarter, it's usually very hard. If they think everything's going to work that they do, they're probably wrong. Like it takes one thing a quarter. It takes nine months for things to become successful. The more they put on one person, the less successful that they're going to be. We distributed our culture programs. It took us a long time to figure this out, but we distributed our culture programs throughout the company. And so every program had a champion. Every champion has a checklist. And every champion with armed with that checklist of how to make that program successful had permission from me to get it wrong on their way to getting it right. And so the mistake that we often make is we go, oh, I'm going to come back. I'm going to give that to my HR person. Well, you start handing all this stuff to the HR person, and it gets heavier and heavier and heavier and heavier, and the HR person can't even do their job, much less all these things that we've assigned to them. And so we, our HR was in charge of, of two things, helping people understand their benefits and making sure that we all behaved on the job. After that, we distributed all of our culture programs, our recognition program, our tenure programs, our, all the things that went into what we called camel culture. We distributed throughout the organization so that every person got to, got to be a part of the culture, not just be in the culture. So this was the, the, the existing programs, the business as usual, or the, the innovation, like Let's also figure out how to do, let's say, an alumni program. Was it yeah. the business as usual or the new stuff that you handed out? It, you know, it, it's, it's uh, gradually and all of a sudden, this thing became camel culture. It's what we called our culture. I believe everyone should name their culture. They, once you have a name, then we can start saying, well, what's part of that? What's part of our culture? Then you can start listing all the things that are already a part of your culture, good and bad. We put it, we built a, 
we, we turned into a visual where we have an outline of a camel, and everything that we did unique to us was inside that camel. And so we could list all the things, make sure that everything had a champion, a checklist, that we paid attention to it, that each thing had KPIs so we knew how to measure the success of it. And it didn't just, you know, we started a program and then we forget about it for three years. And so this kept everything alive and in front of us. And, every, and, and often you have to take things out of your culture. Like it's not just adding stuff. It's what, what, what things aren't performing, what things aren't being received well, what things that people aren't participating in. Well, stop doing them so that you can make room for the things that make your team truly a team. And then so we had a bunch of stuff we were doing, and over the course of time, we kept making sure that anything we were doing, again, I'm going to keep repeating, had a champion, a checklist, my permission to fail, and, and KPIs to measure those things with, and things that thrived, we kept and we promoted and we invested in. The champion might change, but the program kept going forward, and we had, we had the, you know, the numbers and the history to prove it. Did you have a, a case where you felt that suddenly something you'd been doing for like two years was completely in the wrong direction. And how did you deal with that conflict of identity, I guess, that, you know, realization that you were doing all things wrong? Well, it's, it's, we, we like to say we'll do it wrong until we figure out how to get it right. Like it's okay to do it wrong. You can't, you, if, if I come visit you tomorrow without GPS, I will get lost on my way to find you. Right. But Getting lost is part of the process. It's part of how I discover where I want to go. And so we, we, if, I'm, if I'm answering your question correctly, the, the idea is that it's okay to get it wrong as long as we have a checklist and KPIs to keep us on the right path. And when, when the checklist and KPIs told us that a program wasn't working, that we weren't getting participation, that it wasn't creating results, that it wasn't creating enthusiasm, then we said, why are we doing this program? All right, let's, we have plenty of other things we can be doing. So we would just retire those, those things. Were you always comfortable with self-acceptance or something you had to discover? Confident with, with self what? Self-acceptance. Like uh, accepting that, that you can be wrong and that's fine. Yeah, well, I, I, we embrace, we, part of camel culture was embracing being wrong, right? Because we, 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 we knew we had to take this path. For me, no, I hate being wrong. I get, I, my wife will tell you, I get angry when I'm wrong. <laughs> But I remind myself of the things I need most to be a good leader, right? And so that's, that's why we, that sometimes you have to, have to embrace the things that we struggle with the most. Did you struggle? So now I wear it on my shirt. I wear it on my shirt just so everyone knows. Yeah. <laughs> Did you struggle with letting go of control as you were growing the company? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely, right? It's, it's a con the key for me was to always work on a team. Like we get in our – when I would be the boss, when I was right and I knew I was right and I was confident I was right, most often that's when I was wrong. Right, I had no one else to tell me I was wrong, and so be, having people around you that will say, "Let's think about that." Right, often made the difference in me letting my ego run the company versus my brain run the company. And so I, you know, all of us, any good, some of us, some many of us are technicians at heart. We all struggle with, with doing it our way, with getting it right every time, with being right about something. But it's those skills that it's crazy because those things help us be successful early in our careers, but they hold us back 
from being successful later in our careers. How did you give people a, a sense of purpose? You talk about giving a sense of purpose in your book. How yeah. do you mean a personal sense of purpose or a company-wide sense of purpose? And how do you do well, that? I'd say the number one thing we did was, was we, we defined trust in the workspace as you, when you came to work, you felt like everyone was there to make you better. I'm there to make you better. Your teammates are there to make you better. And part of that is you coming to work knowing you're part of your mission is to make the people around you better. So we're all working to make each other grow and better as opposed to what are they telling me about? What, are the, what do I not trust about this? What are they not telling me? What are they not asking me? So this whole thing, it wasn't – we built personal injury brands. Like that's what we did, but it's hard to get excited about that. What we got excited about was growing the company, growing each other, learning together, becoming better at what we did in every aspect of our jobs. And so, you know, everything from uh, uh, when you walked in the door or, or came to virtual work with us, you knew that we're all on the same team. And that's something that was just part of how we talked about things, how we preached about things, how we recognized each other. You know, we have very, we had two very simple recognition programs. One is when you came to work with us, you got a stack of postcards and your job was to write thank yous to the people around you that helped you be successful and constantly give those out. And when you got one, we didn't make people do this, but they would put them on their walls and in their cubicles and their offices. They would always display them because that appreciation from their teammate meant a lot to them. And so we became people. If you were with us for six months, you ended up with just postcards of appreciation from your teammates. That makes us feel good. It makes us even feel better to give that appreciation. And so we had a culture of appreciation. We also allowed folks to nominate each other for uh, a monthly public all-hands meeting recognition for something they did spectacular. And so those, would, those people would get nominated. We would recognize the 10 biggest contributors a month. We would award them not just a, a financial reward, but a ton of recognition. So we had a culture of recognition for growth and success. And so those things, just the appreciation and the recognition created this safe environment where people wanted to get better, wanted to help their teammates get better, and wanted to be recognized. And so that's a long, long answer to in very simple but complicated projects that just were part of how we operated. You, got, you, were, you gave appreciation. You got appreciation. You were recognized when things went well. And if there was nothing to recognize you for, then we had to have, we, that gave us the opportunity to have a conversation about what is holding you back from achieving what you need to achieve. And so it all sort of worked, it worked into each other. I really love what you said about people posting their appreciation notes on their desk because most often, like I've been in cultures where people appreciate each other, but actually putting it somewhere where it's visible all the time is 10xing the effect. Uh, it, it because it's always there. It's always there, and it's and it's and it again. We feel good getting recognized. We and and appreciated. We feel even better when we recognize and appreciate. And so that's a gift that we don't often talk about. It's to allow people to feel part of the process. Right, a part of the growth. By the way, our offices were the cleanest offices. We we had crews coming in twice a day. We had fruit in the kitchen. We had free food and nuts, and we had stuff. 
we, we wanted a place where you look forward to coming into work every day. Now, that, the world has changed a lot over the last few years, and some people are all virtual now. Some people are, are, are mixed. The point is be ex- we wanted people excited about going to work in person or virtually with us, and so we had programs to specifically encourage that. For folks that came in, I can honestly say we wanted work to be a place where that was better than home better than home in terms of how much you're supported, how clean it is, all the resources you need to do your job, easy parking, easy access, easy, easy, comfortable dress code, easy, easy, easy. Home is where you can go and get uh, yelled at and underappreciated and feel like you're not doing your job. Work, we love you, you love us. That's, that's the feeling we wanted. Wow, that's, that's a very stark contrast, but it's actually... Quite true. Yeah, you need a place where you are appreciated and you can feel you, you can grow yeah. unencumbered. You, you're smiling when you come in, not, you know, it only, everyone has a bad day, but if you, if it's hard to, it's hard to have in a, be in a bad mood in an environment where everyone's supporting you. It's just hard. How about learning? How do you incentivize people to like take the courses that, you know, HR or the manager or whoever else recommended. Well, what we found is... How do you create that culture? Recognition solves for so many problems. And so we, we have huge posters and, and huge shout-outs for people who improve themselves. And so by constantly recognizing those that made themselves better, we constantly got people making themselves better. And then another concept, one that you mentioned in the opening that I'm passionate about, is called Better Book Club. Better Book Club is the the concept I run now in my semi-retirement, and it is a concept that pays people to read. And so in our company, we developed this concept that where we pay people to read, which is sort of the headline. But the backstory is, is that I, like every other entrepreneur in the world, thought that if I read a book and liked it, then I would buy 20 copies and I would bring it home and I would tell everyone else to read the book. And let me tell you something, Andreas, no one wants to read your book, right? They, they may right. say they do. They may act like they do. A third of them will actually read it because they will do anything you say. A third of them will not read it because they won't do anything you say. And a third of them will skim it and tell you they read it when they didn't. And all those people will be mad at each other. And that program will work maybe one to three months before you forget about it and move to something else. Book clubs in a traditional sense do not work in companies. Your last book is not their next book. Right. I realized that when I tried to get people to read the books I've read, and they all said, no, right? So what we came up with is say, rather than me tell them what to read, I don't care what they read. I just want them to read. I don't care about the book. I care about the habit. So I'm going to pay them to read any book that makes them a better human with the hope of and the promise of if I reward you and you do it and I, re- and you, and I reward you and you do it and I reward you and you do it, you will develop the habit that has meant so much to me and you will grow. And so we turn that into a, a, a platform, an application that any company across the globe can now use to incentivize their people to read more. And if your people read they will grow. And if they grow, you will be successful. And that's sort of the path that we went on. They, weren't, they didn't want to read my books. I wanted them to become readers. I paid them to read, and they did it. And then we just repeated the process. So the financial incentive changed how people viewed the, uh, the, the opportunity, the challenge. They, they, the financial piece is, a, is sort of the headline, but what they really crave is 
recognition and approval. That's all they, that's, it's, if you recognize, what we, if when we recognized and gave approval to our people for the, for the actions that we appreciated, they did more of it. And if they didn't, they weren't, their mindset wasn't one of growth and confidence, and they found their way out of the organization. And we, we would tell folks, look, we're not for everybody. We're a little crazy. We pay people to read. We bring, we bring dogs and kids to work. We're constantly uh, uh, cheering for each other. There's a lot of clapping going on. We're very loud. If we're not for you, we will help you find a job somewhere else in the community. We will we'll use every resource in our power to get you where you can be successful. But here's who we are, right? Culture reflects leadership. I set the tone for that, for that, for that culture. And when you do as much as we do, you either find that you fit or you find that you don't. And either way, we're better off and you're better off. Do you feel that these reward systems and these systems for growing people or helping them grow are applicable to a remote or remote-only environment? I, I, or do they require some physical interaction? Look, we, we, I, I operated my company before the world went remote. But, but I will tell you, we were a, we were a total... Work where you want to work. You don't have to be here. We don't care when you work. We don't care where you work. We just want the work done kind of company. We were doing that before, way before uh, anyone else was. And we simply took that into account. If people were remote, we met them where they were. We set up systems that helped them feel like they were part of our team, right? We would send them random gifts in the mail to make sure they knew they were engaged. We would include them on, we would double our efforts on communication to know that they were always part, they always were part of what we were doing, that they weren't working on an island somewhere, that we appreciated them. They still got their appreciation. They still got their recognition. They still got attention from the people that mattered most to them, and we made sure that they, we, you know, we, we took means to make sure they were participating with the team. And so there's nothing that this, my book talks about all the things we did at, at CJ to make camel culture unique. There's, there's nothing in here that can't be done remotely. Not easy. Just take the time to think about how do we make that work? How do we appreciate people where they are? How do we make sure that they know they're a part of the team? How do we make sure that they're growing? And when I say make sure, just you know, in, not in a boss way, but in a leadership way, how do we ensure, rather than make sure, how do we ensure that they're growing with the team and helping us be successful? So that book, for those not watching us on video, is Worth Doing Wrong. That's right. Which, which you wrote how far back, Arnie? Uh, it's, been, it's been about five, six years. It's 2000, late 17. The book came out in late 17. And what led you or pushed you to write your experiences in the book? So you're an EO member. I'm an EO member. Uh, EO, you know, that, you know, there's like 18,000 EO members around the world. And we were getting tons of EO people coming to Nashville to see the city that is growing so fast, doing so much. And we would actually give tours of our offices and our culture to groups all the time. Like they, they would be in town. We were kind of near downtown. Folks would tell about the legend of camel culture. And so we would get groups to come through. And so we developed the tour. I honestly believe that every company is tourable to some extent. If you can't give a tour for your company, you might not have the culture that you want, right? So, so make your company tourable. Be, be, brag about the things you're doing right so that, that you can continue to make them better and better. And so we were offering this tour, this camel culture tour, to say here's all the things we're doing for tenure, for recognition, for customer service, for uh, client, uh, 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 staff morale, uh, paying people to read, on and on and on. 
And that tour basically turned into this book, right? Because this is a better way for me to share all the things that we're doing. We go through how we, you know, how we came up with them, all the things we did wrong to get them right. There's actually, a, there's actually 20 pages or so of pictures in the back that literally virtual tour of our company, just like you would, uh, most of which you would see as if you came through the company. And so that, that was the inspiration is how do, we, how do we deliver this experience to more people so that they can, they can do any one thing in, in the book or everything. I guarantee you, everything in here, I did R, deep R and D on, research and duplicate. Like I found it from someone else, and so I openly invite people to find it from me and duplicate it for themselves. So is there one thing that you would be most proud if people stole from you? Uh, name your culture. Like everyone has a culture, name it. Once you name it, and if possible, give it a mascot. Like all, all sports teams have a mascot. They do it for a reason. It's so that we can cheer for the team. If you name your culture, if you can possibly have a mascot that you can put all these things into, then now we can cheer for it. And once we can cheer for it, incredible things can happen. And so name your culture. And Arnie, what, what, is, like, what is one thing we need to rethink as leaders about culture? So what do you think we mostly get wrong as leaders? Uh, we, 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 there's three things we get wrong as leaders. Number one, culture reflects leadership. H how you speak, how you recognize people, where you park, the, your actions are your leadership. Not what you say, what you do. That's number one. Culture reflects leadership. Number two, we try to uh, we try to um, delegate culture to someone else in the company, HR or a culture manager or a energy spirit or something. Ultimately, culture reflects your leadership style. If you if you delegate this to someone else, you are missing potentially missing a huge opportunity to to get the culture where you want it to be. You'll get the culture you deserve, no matter what you do. Make it the best it can be. And, and number three, we think we bring all these ideas to our company and we sort of set them a sale, but we don't have a way to know if they're actually successful. And so by giving each program a champion, a checklist, come up with KPIs that let you know if it's being successful or not, and give that person permission to get it wrong on their way to getting it right, then most culture projects end up in no man's land, which is, we, I think we used to do that. I think I had this idea three years ago. I think I told someone to do it, but I don't know where it is now. And so name your culture. Take responsibility for your culture. Delegate it properly to enough people in your organization. By the way, don't start at the top of your org chart. Start at the bottom of your org chart. The, every culture project you give to an executive or a leader will more likely die than be successful. They have other things they're trying to get done. They have other priorities. They don't take it as seriously, seriously as you do. If you give that same project to someone at the bottom of your org chart, it will be their opportunity to show you that they know what, that they can get things done, to show off to their teammates, to be a part of the company's success, to feel involved. So every project you give to someone at the bottom of the org chart is an opportunity for them to be successful and gives the program tremendous, tremendous more opportunity for it to be successful in your company. And so it's a win-win. And by the way, that once they realize at the bottom of the org chart that they each have a program, they start to help themselves become a, become a united front to make every program work better. 
And so it's a huge win for everyone involved. Uh, besides your book, Arnie, is there another book or another resource or maybe another role model you look up to, someone you think we should be following or, or a book we should be reading? Well, the, the only difference between each one of us today and five years from now are the books we read and the people we meet, right? We, we know who we are today, but it's it, who we become, the difference, books we read, the people we meet. And so people want to be, because I run Better Book Club, people think, tell me a book to read. Well, tell me what you want to learn. If you tell me what you want to learn, it's much more likely I can tell you what book you might want to think about reading, right? The same as in terms of people you meet, meet the people that have written the books that have changed your life. Like all of us have those. For, for anyone listening to this, many, many entrepreneurs or readers or absorbers of content through podcasts like this or or however we absorb content the best, meet the people behind the books that you read to understand their journey, their story, and what else you can learn from them. So that, that's, that's my advice. If you, want to run, if you want to learn about entrepreneurship, there's a whole list of books, right? You can find, you can find my recommendations for books by category on the website worthdoingwrong.com. If you want to learn about entrepreneurship, these are the books. If you want to learn about customer service, these are the books. If you want to learn about marketing, these are the books that I have read that have changed my life. And I am excited about you finding the books that change your life. And where can people find out more about you, Arnie? WorthDoingWrong.com, BetterBookClub.com, or just Arnie Malham. Like, I'm everywhere. My, my mobile number is out there. My emails are out there. Hit me if I can be of help. I do talks all over the world only to entrepreneurs. I refuse to go talk to anyone that can't actually change the course of their company's future. And so whether it's speaking to EO chapters or at EMP or at EO uh, regional events, I, I look at all these opportunities as a chance to change cultures around the world, to be better for the, their people, better for their boss or the leader, and better for their clients. Arnie Malham, thank you for your wisdom, your insights, and for, for inspiring us to see maybe a better version of ourselves as a better leader. Thank you. Andreas, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to my, my brand of crazy and, and for even, even, even asking, for asking the right questions to get me fired up about this topic. Thank you.